So uh, when I was invited to participate in this particular session, and thank you uh, very much for organising it all and making this available uh, to other people benefit from this. These are the kind of um, skillful Dhamma actions that uh, um, you can undertake. It doesn't require a huge amount of money, uh, even that technology is relatively uh, manageable these days, but helping to propagate Dhamma activities with monks or just even amongst yourselves, listening to a talk. Um, these are all skillful activations, purposes, intentions, commitments, and they do they do help to shape the life uh, which you're in. We're all in. And very simply speaking, you know, if you don't shape your life, it will shape you. Uh, for sure, there's plenty of shaping influences that we're all um, prone to. We call it the world, and the world shapes us. And so it's up to us to shape what our world is going to be. Now, when I say the world, uh, I don't just mean... Bangkok or Britain or planet or I mean the world your world the world of your concerns the world that touches you the world that worries you the world that you delight in the world that you feel connected to and sometimes in pretty uncomfortable ways I imagine yeah and yet uh, and one of the themes is how do you sort of um live in a world whereby yeah there's livelihood and other people and things to care for and things to fix yeah. and yet not get bound by it mm. and so this is really a, a theme for deep investigation and constant inquiry and adjustment and that the fact that this is possible at all that we're not just helplessly glued uh, is uh, is one of the fundamental realizations of dhamma practitioners and so the question that was presented to me was about this i understood it to be about this topic how do we go from a time when we're sitting quietly in meditation and we're just dealing with the one thing seemingly simplicity of presence into uh, situations where it's multitasking, many faceted this, that, this, that, this happening different speeds, random you know, it's not coming in nice, steady, smooth points it's kind of flushing and moving and it's never finished and how do we come from that to that um, and it's um, it's not your not just your question. I'm sure it's a question that all of us have to find our own way with. And it's perhaps something there's no universal answer to. Um, we'll all find our own ways with that. But there are certain founding principles. And the fundamental principle I would like to point out is intention, intent. Oh volition 
okay it's not the most easy word but it means uh, what's our motivation and what do we able to and motivation really is a heart quality what do you what do you rise up for what do you live for now intention kind of accompanies every action that we undertake whether we're sitting determining to meditate or whether we're fixing the car, or whether we're looking after the baby, or whether we're going to buy some groceries. There's some sense of, this is what I want to do, get this together, go this way and do it. Mm. It's a natural feature of, of human experience. And we have minds uh, that can, can readily conceive of many possibilities of what we could do, ought to do, should do, and even when. So it gets so that that quality of instrumentation, instrument motivation, gets quite gets pretty diffused over. Well, maybe this at six o'clock. What's happening in July? Where will I spend August? And what's happening to my cousin? And so and so is Neil. Can I fix this? Do I have the money for that? Well, look what's happening here. You know, it's it's very diffused. It goes into the many. It gets kind of like a spread out over a whole uh, realm. And uh, so the cultivation kind of get back to the root intention of our um, this quality that we have, the ability to be motivated, and really returning to that time and time again, to the point to which you're able to say, well, actually, this is more important than that. Looking after my cousins is more important than going to the to the store. Um, yeah, it's an obvious example. Many of these we feel pretty obvious uh, then but you have to kind of keep remembering what is most important for you yeah and what is most important in your life and prior and keeping that bear that in mind this is why um, committed practitioners will pretty much every day are going to submit some time I hope I expect I, I encourage bringing up Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha in the mind. These are timeless, these are harmless, these are worthy of respect, these are blameless. These, what these represent, lead to the highest fruitions of human potential. And they do certainly allow for right intention, right thought, right livelihood. That's part of the path. And maybe one of the problems for meditators these days is actually meditation. I mean, yeah, it sounds strange, doesn't it? Because meditation is such a refuge, I imagine, for us. But not that it's problematic, but that I myself uh, began meditation with, okay, you go to a place which is very wonderfully open, free, come in, no commitment needed, sit down, fine, listen to this, focus on this particular point in your body, and breathing in and out, that's it. You know, then you've got, the, this is meditation. And that's true. Um, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> uh, uh, when we look into the way the, the Buddha teaches, he says, no, no, you begin with uh, generosity, you begin with morality, you begin with uh, renunciation. You begin with, you know, what's happening with these things. Uh, you begin with, in fact, purifying intention. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so that, you know, somewhere along that line, your purifying intention, you know, you begin to generate some view through that intention. Oh, this is where things get confusing. This is where I get stuck. This is where I get overwhelmed. If I let go of this and put more attention here and give up that and be patient with this uh, and emphasize this and encourage this, hey, I'm finding there's some kind of ways through this this stuff. Um, other stuff, things don't necessarily have to arise. Yeah. So, for example, you know, if I've if I've <laughs> uh, sort of most of us every day will say, you know, I relinquish um, sense pleasures, or I'm not going to go to the football match, or whatever. Then clearly, I don't have to worry about the team, who's winning, who's losing. I don't have to get excited about that because it's not my concern. I don't care really which team won. Good for them if they enjoy it, but that's so I don't have to invest anything in. I don't get upset. I don't get disappointed. I'm not brooding over the results. And this is a very modest example. Uh, so we're looking. At what, what I need, don't even need to bother myself about. What is is okay. It's not immoral, but it's kind of useless. And then, what subjects of attention? When I go to them, I just find myself overwhelmed with despair and anguish. You know, hopelessness, pointlessness. Yeah. So a lot of media can contain these terrible things of war and famine and global conflict and global warming and how much attention does one want to put into that probably enough to stay stay attuned at a certain point in which you think well okay i've got the message i'll do what i can any putting more attention to this is just going to get me feeling oppressed and heavy and that's not going to do anybody any good uh putting attention into um, consumerism okay you know we can everything go online oh wonderful things you don't need to move out the door you can spend an hour or two online shopping oh that looks nice yes oh wonderful it's all great it's all attractive one can see the glow it looks like it could save your life very important wonderful new gardening tools a set of clothes a fancy gadgets going to make your life that much quicker go much more effectively thinking mm -mm. yeah i just spent an hour or so and I was, I was okay. I was doing okay. I was living okay. Then I found all these things I didn't have. I was, I was okay before. But now all these things that I didn't have have been presented to me to see how my life could be even better. But I was okay. I don't need it to be better. The way it gets better is if I spend more time calming my mind and practicing loving kindness. <laughs> That's how it gets better. But if you give attention to things that are particularly designed to evoke need in 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 sense objects, need then your mind gets captured by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because. I find myself that I, I, I mean, people like to offer me things, which is very nice. But I try to think of things I actually need. I just need um, more time, actually. <laughs> to, to, I need to just more time, more space, 
to to meditate to practice don't need more stuff um, really yeah. occasionally things are according to useful things wear out and that's handy uh, but then of course if you get into particularly the internet stuff you can get extremely uh, saturated so you think what is the Buddha said to use what's called wise attention it means you notice not what something is but what it does to you when I give attention to this it, it elicits it brings up desire when I give attention to this it gives you despair when I bring up attention to this when I attend to this it brings up ill will what I don't this isn't doing me any good don't give attention to it so you have this sense of screening knowing recognizing the chitta is like an open mouth the heart's like an open mouth like a baby's mouth what are you going to put in that mouth you know the chitta is like the mouth of a baby and you want to put what do you want to spoon in there because that's going to go right down so this quality of, of deep attention is something that, that is considered a powerful and necessary filtering of attention so that our primary intention isn't so diffused mm. so then he's saying well when you cultivate this you're beginning to be able to see you know the unsatisfactoriness of this consumer world in fact it's if we look through history human history it's really always been the same kind of story greed power violence is going on on one level um, and another level people are helping each other healing you know doing loving things so you've got this is it but you always got this element of greed hatred delusion powering away and then with that is also people doing skillful noble things you say well what do you want to be part of which world do you want to be part of for your own welfare for the welfare of others keep the stream of goodness going this should be one's primary intention yeah and when that primary intention is established and you're able to sustain it and hold it firmly in your daily life then you're going to find small spaces open up because you're not filling them up with unnecessary things you get a sense of dispassion or nibida I just don't want to know any more about the latest music fashion yada yada I just it's, it's just not going to take me to be useful um, so that sense of the turning away occurs internally and, and this is where space begins to open not just vacuity but also a sense of spacious heart because the heart that mouth of the heart is not crammed full all the time the jaws aren't always chewing something, so it's just open. And then you begin to and then it begins to sense itself. Oh, this is 
This is the heart, the chitta. This is beautiful. This is bright. This is blameless. It's something to look after. And through this particular organ, organ of chitta, it easily by itself easily evokes beautiful intentionality because it's not drugged, dazed, confused, stressed. So intentionality that comes from that is associated with goodwill. So what's this got to do with meditation? <laughs> well, okay, so what do you, what do you call meditation? I imagine is when you, you do it when you sit down. Um, we've just been doing it. So when you sit down, then that same process going on, what do I give my attention to? Uh, you don't have to focus it, just, you can decide. What do you give attention to? And probably the first thing to give attention to is intention. What am I doing here? Am I just sort of doing this because it's seven o'clock or six o'clock in the evening or Monday night? Is it just become another what's called rites and rituals or systems and customs? One of the fundamental fetters, shackles of the heart, it gets bound up to routine. So am I just doing this as a matter of routine with no you know, sense of purpose in it. What's my purpose? How do I establish that? So, firstly, you're probably going to say, "Look, I don't. Let's just stabilise my presence in the body the here. Let's come into the here and now." And the way we come into the here and now is you come into the body because the body is always here and now. It doesn't have a future. It just is what it is. Okay, so you, there, you've got something you can establish to bring the chitta into out of speculation into the here and now. And then in the here and now, what's the fundamental quality of intention? Now, if your intentions, your attitudes, your aims, your perspectives have been trained, groomed, carefully looked after during the day, the rest of the day, then pretty much when you sit down that's going to be there because you haven't picked up a lot of unnecessary stuff you've also learned that one of the important things that we try to cultivate is a sense of steady intention so it's not jumping here and there we, we steadier our actions our speech in, in our life it's not just jabber 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 but steady reflective speech steady action and you stay with it and you stay with what you're doing even though sometimes you're uncertain you stay with it sometimes you're in a hurry you stay with it sometimes you get impatient steady yourself so your actions in the day you're learning both to hold a clear intention to fashion what you're intending and also to persevere through the variations of uh, that was pleasant, that was unpleasant, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm struggling, just stay steady, don't panic. So then we recognise intention itself has a little more than just a, uh, a wisdom sense, which is of course paramount, 
a wisdom sense, this is what I'm aiming for. It also is an energetic sense. This is how I intend. In other words, intention is an energy. It's kind of obvious, isn't it, really? Like, if you do something, your mind has to go, oof, do it. Energy has to rise to do it. If you're going to say something, you've got to, okay. If you're tired, it's not going to come out so well. Physical energy, obviously, mental energy. So that the, the energy of intention, you're also learning in your life to hold that steadily. So it's not a strained, nor is it faltering, uh, nor is it uh, um, collapsing. Much of this uh, training is, is in terms of what are called parami. And you've probably heard of this term in Thailand. Then parami is a pretty much standard uh, reference. Um, certainly in Southeast Asia, parami is a big thing because it, it's a nice reminder of qualities that, that strengthen and purify intention. Yeah, of which generosity is one. Okay, I can do giving. Just not material giving, but giving my service. Uh, giving my time. Mm, hospitality. Having a giving heart. Being a welcoming person. I can do that. Sometimes, you know, I feel I don't have much to give, but I can keep that attitude. Dana mm. sila. Um, we can train in five precepts we can perfect and subtler aspects of the five precepts such as not just not lying but also uh, not just trivial chitter chatter uh, not necessarily not bringing up um, topics that are pointless uh, that just create delusion or fantasy or aversion in other people not speaking about other people in a way that is scapegoating, caricaturing, blaming. Don't speak of things that don't give rise to skillful results. That's the pinnacle. <laughs> you know, it takes some doing. But to, to the Buddha himself says, there are many things, times and places, essentially, I don't speak about in a way that, unless it gives rise to skillful results, there's no point talking. Okay, that's that's the gold standard. But if we keep that in mind, okay, can I just rise a little bit towards that? <laughs> yeah. Then my intention is purified and I'm steady and also wisely observing. And there's going to be a result with that that continues beyond the action. The intention is behind the action, but when the action disappears, the quality, intentionality, the, re the result of it stays in the heart. The heart's been strengthened. The heart's been clarified. The heart's discarded some of its residual bad habits and debris. So, you know, something like, you know, sila, morality, ethics, ethical sensitivity. Um, these are just the first two parami. Renunciation, putting aside what one doesn't need giving less attention to sense contact and more attention to heartful quality, determining that. And, you know, there's a whole list of them which could make this a very long session if we went into it in detail, but you look on any list, you'll see that there's 
in the Theravada tradition, you have 10 parami. I think the number is pretty variable. But 10 is a good. and But probably including loving kindness and equanimity and truthfulness. Maybe the cardinal one is all of them have to be accompanied by resolution, which means now you know it, you determine patience, now you do it. Now you do it, even when you feel impatient, you practice it. Even when you feel you every right to be impatient, you practice it. Even when nobody else is practicing it, you practice it. <laughs> the same thing with Sila. Even when nobody else is doing it, and people think it's irrelevant, and people think you're boring, you still practice it. <laughs> That's when you really determine to extract yourself from the wrong kind of world. You can shape your world. Otherwise, it's going to shape you. Right? So we find ourselves going along with things because, oh, well, you know, or can we say, oh, thank you, not really, not for myself, uh, very kind of you, but I find this is more helpful for me. Yeah, I, I used to do that, but I felt I had enough of that. I'm more this way now. Talk about not, blame, not blaming you, but this is what works for me. And encouragement to be authentic. Not just to kind of go along because it's polite, but not to be rude about it either. Say, okay, if that's what you want to go, good luck, fine. I'm going this way, and um, this is what works for me. And essentially, you keep doing that, you find out by itself that power of intention means you find you associate with the people who want to go your way rather than you go the way where other people are going, you go the way that works for you and make it work. So, you know, to, to summarise, this is ten parami, aditana, be, have kindness in a hostile world. Have kindness in a world of blaming. Don't let the heart become soured with resentment, fear, uh, guilt. I'm not good enough. This harmful attitude to one's oneself. Whenever you find the qualities, those senses of that which is broken or sad or inadequate, you don't beat it up. You put some good will into it. These are ways and means. We could spend a year talking about this in detail. That you're but what you're doing underneath it all is you're exercising, purifying, strengthening and using intention to brighten and strengthen the heart. Okay, so if you do, do you know, when you come into what you call meditation, what state's the heart going to be in? It's going to be the result of all that, isn't it? And now, nobody's bothering me. And now... I, you know, now I don't have to follow the tide. Now I don't have to follow the wrong stream. I'm sitting here. All that which seems so dominant, the traffic, the shops, the people, the phone calls, that's gone. Where am I? Now if we've been following that, we're just in a disoriented state. But if we've been manifesting our own resolve, We've stayed where we were. It's just now, it's like the boat has stayed where it is. 
The tide has moved away, the boat is still standing. The tide has, the water has, has moved away, and the boat is still here. The water comes back, the boat remains where it is. The boat, water moves away, the boat is anchored. So it doesn't just go out backwards and forwards. It's in, we're trying to, you know, practicing to keep that intention in the same place. And I would suggest and recommend that, you know, whatever we do with attention, which is often the thing that we can most easily get hold of in meditation, okay, focus on that particular theme. Hmm. Um, that is sort of secondary to intention. Right view. Buddha says right view. That gives you the sense of there are consequences to where I place my mind. That's a reminder of the power of intentionality. Wherever, whatever I intend is going to give results. That's the beginning. Right? Then intend skillful things. Right resolve, right purpose, sammak sankapa, non-harming, non-sensuality, non-cruelty. Right? Second feature of the path. Right? And so on. So it's the path begins with that intention. And purifying it. The very word meditation, I think it began in about the 1930s to be used in, in the West. And well, in Buddhist context, it was a Christian term which re- referred to the sense of re- thinking about an aspect of Jesus or Mary or someone like that, and then thinking about it and continually pondering it till you began to, you know, get into the qualities of what this great being represented. Um, and yeah, you can do that in, in in Buddhism. You can use the Buddha like that. But um, essentially, that that feature of the of, of of is occurs within the larger domain. The Buddha used the word cultivation, not meditation. Cultivation, which is a much larger and more engaged. Um, sense it means we definitely put down some seeds in the soil of our life and we water them and we weed and we water and we weed and we nourish and look beautiful things start to grow and that can be through my speech my actions uh, how I operate um, my commitments uh, and then deciding choosing how to use this human form in a way that will bring around best results. And then which is cultivating like that. And knowing also, you know, that that very quality of intention itself has to be itself moderated, so coming into place when we, we, we push forward, activate, and then we begin to relax, soften, rest, But the quality of intention has acted like a magnet that's drawn out the corruptions from the heart. Then when those corruptions are drawn out, intention rests, the heart is left open and calm. Intention ends in Nibbana. <laughs> now, of course, for most of us, that that's not going to happen today. Maybe 
But just getting a sense of that process, there's times when you, and in your daily life, you're really working on this beast, this creature, of, uh, this potential we have for intention, intention, and then resolving it, placing it in the right place, holding it steady within your capacities. What can you bring forth? What can you do? Resolve it, honour it, bring it forth. Don't doubt it. Don't worry too much about results in that sense. Look, look at the purity of it and begin to test it, check it out. And there's a time to also just sort of, okay, let's just go quiet now, relax. And notice what's been taken away, the worry, the self-criticism, the self-obsession, and what's left is a gentle warmth and steadiness, the results of beautiful practice, beautiful endeavour. Then part of our sitting practice is just going to be allowing ourselves to rest and drink in the punya, the blessings, the results, the great richness that arises from cultivating in the right way. Therefore there's encouragement. Therefore one is seeing how everything lines up and we really feel ourselves we've entered what's called entered the stream it means you're now in it um, and you have no doubt and uh, you know what to do okay so i think i'll uh, probably enough to be uh, thinking about for a while uh, and uh, my best wishes to uh, one and all, uh, you know, I uh, expect to be visiting Southeast Asia towards later half of the year and maybe we'll have a chance to meet up and exchange and practice together. Take good care. Bye for now.